Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're back to do the spoiler edition of the Season 8, Episode 2 uh, podcast. Aaron, you're you're our resident spoiler guy. Spoiler I'm sort of guy. a spoiler-phobe. <laughs> uh, but it, hopefully we can come together and understand uh, where the books and the show intersect this episode. Um, I would like to have a little bit of fun in the beginning and I refuse. I don't want to have any fun <laughs> and talk about a theory that I actually wanted to talk about last week. And I, we, we, we ran out of time, uh, but I think we'll have time this week and it needs to be heard anyway before it, it might be a dry pie. Uh, mountain leader on Reddit posted a thread, um, about the hot pie theory. Um, so you might have to recount this theory says i'm gonna just read uh, uh, some of the stuff from this uh his his, his uh seminal work here many of you a lot were long time convinced a hot pie would be azora high or azor hot pie sadly i think even the most pie hard fans of that theory have to concede that the confirmation that r plus l equals j has largely dispelled any possibility of that happening but i would argue who sits on the iron throne at the end who is azora high that's all just context and world building for the real story the whole Ice and Fire series is actually about a hero's journey of one character from young boy on the streets of King's Landing to grown man, baker, and savior of the entire Seven Kingdoms. Um, we've seen Hot Pie's struggles over the past few seasons, culminating with the famous never give up on the gravy line from last season. All of this is a mere prelude to events set up in season eight. Namely, two things happen. When Tyrion mentions that they have assembled the greatest army the world has ever seen, Sansa wisely questions how they are to feed this great army. The death of the last Lord Umber means that the house is extinct and a family seat is left abandoned, waiting to be gifted to a friend of the Starks. Now, he asks, what is the Umber's seat called? The last hearth? And what is a hearth but a fireplace or an oven? And what can you make in an ho- oven? Hot pies. Mm-hmm. And what can hot pies feed, Jim? Uh, probably an army. The army of the living. That's you're, you're you're damn right. Yeah. Uh, so and he, he has a other. He's got like a surprisingly long post that talks about the importance of food in like siege warfare, and he cites uh, Sir Davos, the Onion Knight, uh, being so famed because he uh, essentially delivered a boat full of rotten onions to Stannis's forces, holding out in a siege that let them get you know uh, hold out until uh, the, the forces of his brother. And- but but I feel like we're th- that punches holes in the very foundation of this theory. You're, you're, which you're is calling that they need you're calling the su- question the, gr- the gravy here. What? Yeah, I mean, if, if what do you need with gravy if you have an unlimited supply of onions? Is all I'm saying. And we already have the onion night within the walls. But of he has no, uh, He's lost his onions with his fingers. But he didn't have the onions. He can get out. He can get out and smuggle. That's them true. In. I guess yeah. it's true. I mean, I mean it, you have a, a, a na- an internationally known purveyor of onions here. I don't know. I'm I'm calling bullshit. What do you need with a hot pie uh, guy? Well, we got a hot pie hater here. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna I, I don't want to plagiarize this whole post, but I thought I got a real kick out of it. And if you guys want to, if if it's uh, if, a funny. Stuff like the bolt-on theory and uh, Varys is a mermaid theory and stuff. That stuff tickles your fancy. I'm going to link it in the show notes for you guys to read. Hey, before we get to the meat of the podcast, I want to talk about a little housekeeping thing that we do here. Uh, Don't forget, we are running a club sale from now until uh, the 7th of May. 25% off all new and for the first time renewing memberships. That's right. If you're an existing club member... 
you can lock that 25% savings for up to five years by going to club.baldmove.com. And this is pertinent to Game of Thrones listeners because we are doing an instant talk segment of our instant take podcast this season for Game of Thrones where uh, club members exclusively can hear an after show where we take feedback from our fans and interact with them through the YouTube chat interface, which is pretty cool. Plus, we're also doing our Super Serious Film Fest fantasy. So uh, everyone gets access to the, the podcasts and videos we do on that. But we do a live watch of the show where Jim and I actually watch the, the movie in question and kind of Mystery Science uh, Theater 3000 it. Um, it's a good time. And you can get all that at club.baldmove.com. And right now, for the next few weeks, lock in 25% savings. On Bald Move TV, which you can find the feed if you just search for Bald Move TV on your favorite podcast aggregator app, uh, we are going to be talking about the documentaries that came out this week. The Grass grass is Greener on America's relationship with marijuana. Uh, the Vice Special Report on the future of work on HBO. And Beyonce's Homecoming Concert, which was also on HBO. Uh, also, today, we have a Bald Movies uh, for Avengers Endgame. It's a little movie. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, that's out and available. Not, the, the spoiler-free version is available for everyone. The spoiler-filled version is available only to club members. Uh, also on the Bald Movies feed uh, is Super Serious Film Fest Fantasy. We just released Army of Darkness on Wednesday, so that's there if you want to talk. Uh, it, it's our ongoing celebration of the fantasy films that influenced and inspired things like Game of Thrones. Um, also uh, wrote two books about Game of Thrones and religion, uh, godsofthrones.com. Uh, we'll be talking to Anthony a little bit later about some stuff from that. And don't forget, there's a house snow pin, enamel pin on pin-y.com. Also, I just heard that there's another pin, a little mm-hmm. weirwood. What would you call it, the stairwood? Stairwood, yeah. It's uh, Bran's face on a weirwood tree. Uh-huh. Uh, and if you if you don't even know that, it's just a sweet-looking weirwood tree pin <laughs> Yeah. at pin-y.com. Uh, okay, let's get on to the real show. Emily W. got some feedback here. Uh, when Shireen was sacrificed with Melisandre, it seemingly did nothing at all. Just a gut-wrenching, horrible moment. Immediately after, however, didn't Melisandre ride to the wall and resurrect John using no sacrifice? It always bothered me that John seems to come back to life with nothing but Melisandre's standard Red Priestess mumbo-jumbo, which has failed time and again. I think this stands up to scrutiny since the show and books typically handle resurrections in an eye-for-eye manner. Uh, when Danny's dragons are born, she sacrifices three lives, Miri, Mazdur, uh, Drogo, and Viserys. But if Shireen's force, life force is stored in Melisandre's magic and used to bring him back, well, that would make a lot more sense. So, what do you think of the idea that what enabled Jon to come back was the death of Shireen? Uh, yeah, I think we've we've probably, you know, questioned this uh, over the last couple of years. What haven't we? <laughs> right, I... <laughs> And, and of course, I'm probably going to get an entirely different answer, but uh-huh. I, I think it's possible. You know, like yeah. the the Lord works mysterious ways, yeah. and and if you can establish a pattern, um, I think certainly it would help with future resurrections. But also, it might it might tell you something about the past ones. Yeah, I mean, I, there's there's questions about like, okay, then how did like Thoros of Mir? Uh, bring back Beric for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thoris killed a shit ton of people, no doubt, in the the battle against uh, Gregor's forces and and all that. But like, were any of them of royal blood? Uh, he certainly didn't seem to think that that was like I I found a young princeling that I tracked down to the kings of the west and and I I slit his throat and then I prayed. No, he just he just said a, a sincere prayer and it worked. So 
it's entirely possible to lord a light can just do whatever the fuck he wants this presumes that there is such a thing called the lord of the light that it has some kind of animating will that can make choice like it presupposes a whole bunch of different things that are mutually incompatible with many other types of theories but um i guess yeah if, if you think that it, you have to have a blood sacrifice especially like a royal blood sacrifice to pay for like a royal life like john's then uh, that would make sense. I guess that's also an ex- explanation from Barrick. Barrick wasn't royalty, so bringing him back to life might have been easier, easier with yeah. spilling common blood. What the fuck does that Just, even mean? Yeah. You need that. Uh, I feel like royal blood is probably like a yellow item, whereas. <laughs> Yeah, common blood is just sort of yeah, it's, yeah like, it's a blue at best at best yeah at best but that'd be green green's common right yeah gray gray is pretty damn common yeah yeah get that gray blood uh or as the harry potter friends said mud blood uh why how and who how, it, we uh we uh, anthony talks a lot about the history of like this concept of royal blood and in, in our book god of thrones but when i was reading i'm just like how did anyone ever go along with this oh like, we get the rule because we're ordained by God, and then we always get the rule because because we're ordained by God, we have special blood. Yeah, I don't know how the commoners... We have to keep that purity. We can't mingle with you commoners. Ah! Yeah. I like, can see what benefit it has for the royalty. Sure, uh, sure. The commoners, not so much, yeah. I don't know if, like, uh, 97% of the world's illiterate. I guess it's probably easy to, to sell a bunch of shit like that. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Murder Bear. Murder Bear, Murder Bear. Uh, episode one, I noticed something that felt really good, much like in episode two, when John and Ned were together for the first time. Ned promised him that he would tell John all about his mother when they saw each other again. And then last week, John finds out about his mother in front of a statue of Ned Stark. Mm. Then in episode two, I realized that Jamie knighted Brienne with Widow's Whale while she was wearing Oathkeeper. So in Winterfell, the two pieces made of Ned Stark's sword have been joined together to do one last honorable thing together inside the Stark's home. Nice. Pretty, pretty tasty analysis there, Murder Bear. Mm-hmm. Um, Lauren M. Not sure if the Double D's meant to do this or not, but when they named Brienne a Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, I got a real Duncan Egg callback sensation since the novels are called A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, and legend has it that Brienne is descended from Sir Duncan the Tall. Uh, well, Lauren, uh, that was a big topic of conversation this week and my co-author anthony gave me a call this morning and we recorded a couple minutes about this whole deal about the night of the seven kingdoms and what it may or may not mean and we're going to talk about it joining remotely to the podcast is one anthony ladon uh if you don't know by now anthony is my co-author for gods of thrones volume one and two uh pilgrim's guide to, to the to the religions of ice and fire um, I, we tried to get him on last week, but we had a big audio catastrophe. So I had to kind of just like verbally recount our conversation. Uh, this week we're going to try to do a little bit better. Welcome to the podcast, Anthony. Thank you for having me. A lot of people have pointed out, um, by now the references of this episode, including its title, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms, to a book series, um, by George Martin in the Song of Ice and Fire series called the Duncan Egg series. It's, it's yes. a story about Aegon V and his unlikely rise to king and his uh, knight and companion and eventual Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, Dunk, uh, Sir Duncan the Tall. And since it's very lore heavy, um, I thought that I'd save that discussion for the, the, the lore podcast. And, uh, you know, since we're kind of the lore meisters, uh, maybe we could save it for ourselves. All right. So Pod sings a song about Jenny Oldstones. 
Jenny Oldstones uh, married uh, Duncan Targaryen, who walked, stepped away from the Iron Throne, advocated the throne, to marry Jenny. And just to lay out the relationship, her Duncan was named after Sir Duncan the Tall. Uh, that's that's right. Aegon the Fifth's first child, and he holds Duncan in such high esteem that he mm-hmm. named his child after him. A very untargeted Yeah, and name. I think it's cool that since since the Double Ds have now sort of outpaced the the Song of Ice and Fire, that they don't want to be com- completely unhinged from Martin's world building. And so they went ahead and they, they're paying homage to this series of short stories, which... You know, after, of course, after you've bought both volumes of Gods of Thrones and uh, all of the series of Ice and Fire and, I don't know, maybe Homer and Shakespeare or whatever, you're going to want to read the, the Duncan Egg series. Famously, Duncan the Tall uh, is knighted, but no one's there to witness this, right? So so the, the, the story starts by this uh, squire uh, to Arlen Pennytree. And who's Arlen kind of, sort of uh, he, he's not exactly the dashingest, most daring knight of the seven. No, he's the hedge knight, and yeah. you know he, he he you know he's sort of living hand to mouth and mm-hmm. from hedge to hedge. And uh, there is some question about whether or not Duncan the Tall is really a knight because no one was there to witness the the ceremony. And of course, Jamie references this. Uh, uh, this tradition in Westeros that any knight can make another knight, and this is repeated often, oftentimes in um, in the Duncan Egg series. This is actually important because, unlike Duncan the Tall, who's trying to prove his honor, because you know his status of an, of knighthood is sort of shady at best, it's disputed. Uh, it's disputed, right? He's got a he because it's disputed. He has to act like a knight. You know, mm-hmm. He has to prove it to everyone and to himself that he really is a man of honor. And here we have Jamie uh, echoing the book. And in addition to that, uh, he does uh, knight Brienne. But he does it in in front of really important witnesses. And so there's no question about her knighthood. Her knighthood is as solid as any knight in the Seven Kingdoms. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of cool that they would that they paid homage to that series. Yep. Aaron, do you think that Jenny's song has some sort of predictive value on the fate of Jon Snow? Oh man, let's talk about Jenny's song in general terms first of all. So okay. Jenny, so this is a Jenny of Old Stones and a story. Um, it, it actually has to do with Duncan Targaryen. So Duncan Targaryen goes out in the world. He's betrothed to some Baratheon princess, um, like like you would be, and he sees this uh, common girl who's maybe a little off um, in the Riverlands. She and- is rumored to be mad. She she and, and uh, which means she just doesn't she she doesn't buy into the cultural conformities of her her era. But she um she she claims to have like uh, royal blood from a direct lineage of the f- first kings, and she talks about a bunch of nonsense. But Duncan loves this woman, mm. and over everyone's uh uh you know objections, decides to abdicate his position in line of the throne set aside his betrothal to the Baratheons, which caused a lot of problems, and uh, marry this woman. Mm -hmm. Um, By all accounts, they were very happily married. Um, 
years later at the what's been called the tragedy at Summerhall, there's some something happened where King Aegon uh, doing some sort of ritual to try to bring dragons back in the world burned the entire uh, Summerhall was like the Targaryens. Uh, right. Uh, 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 Camp David, you know, it was their it was their summer okay. retreat that they could get away sure. and you know yeah. relax, and they had all the royal family there. And somehow Aegon, uh, with some kind of magic ceremony or experiment with wildfire or whatever you try to do to rekindle dragons, he burnt the whole place down, and almost the entire royal family survived. And this story. Uh, the song is the story Wait, of the, the entire royal family survived. I'm sorry, the entire royal uh, far- family got barbecued alive. Oh well, that's different. <laughs> uh, so this, so this Jenny. Before we get to that part, Jenny, uh, when she came to court, she brought her best friend with her, which was this diminutive, like barely three foot tall. Uh, Woods Witch, who a lot of people thought had like ch- blood of the children of the forest coursing in her veins, and she yeah. was famous for being able to give accurate prophecy. And one of the things that she prophesied was that the Azor Ahai, the prince that was promised, is going to come out of the lineage of Eris, uh, the Mad King Targaryen. Uh, right. That's one of the things that really lit a fire under Rhaegar's ass to try to like intentionally create. Yeah, he's he's obsessed with the prophecy, and he's trying to force it into. He's trying to act it into reality. So this woods witch is a character called the Ghost of High Heart that she hangs out in this this ruined castle in the in the the fringes of the Riverlands in the time of the Game of Thrones era. Yeah, the Brotherhood goes and uh, they, they sing this song to her, right? Yeah, like that's that every time they want a prophecy from her and she gives several ones. She prophesies like um accurately about the red wedding, she prophesies mm-hmm. accurately about the purple wedding, and she always requests this song as payment and she just like weeps to herself as the you know usually it's a, a, a tom the, the singer uh thomas evans that that sings this to her and she's she's uh it shatters her every time she hears it and um a lot of people I, i'm not sure if this is actual fact or this is speculation but a lot of people think that this ghost of high heart is the same uh diminutive woman that was jenny's friend the woods witch because they're yes. same stature she's very ancient and old and wizened she's got this gift of prophecy and this story is uh, the song is about Ginny Duncan Targaryen's wife after the tragedy of Summerhall being completely alone and bereft with everyone that she loves and kind of uh, slipping into madness and you know this is just a very tragic story right so uh so what happens here is pa- getting back to our episode yes pod sings this song kind of out of nowhere which which sort of recalls this story about Duncan, who basically gives up the throne for the say for love for for the woman he loves, and doesn't and it doesn't end happily for him either. That's the other point of the song, right? Okay, so 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 basically, people some people are speculating. Does this tell us something about John who? may give up the Iron Throne for the sake of love and die tragically. Yep. So, do you think this has predictive value? Also, trying to bring dragons back into the world, trying to bring uh, dragons back to, to Western, you know, uh-huh. to, to the ruling class Westeros. I, so, I don't know, because it's entirely possible. There's not a lot of original songs in Game of Thrones, which is why nine times out of ten, a squire is going to be singing The Bear and the Maiden Fair, 
or the reigns of Castamir. Yeah, I didn't think that reign, the reigns of Castamir would have been an appropriate It would have been choice. hilarious if he started that up, though, right? <laughs> um, but no, well, I, there were no Starks in the room, so I guess he could have gotten away with it. Um, I think that... I, I don't know, because like it's, it's entirely possible that he's wanted a song, and there's also, like, there's only, like, the first... Not even stanza, but line or two that's in the book. It never gets finished. Right. They had to actually arrange the music themselves and come up you know come up with that whole first verse and the chorus and all that right so i i don't know um i think that if 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 this was season four (laughs) and you're asking me that question i'm like absolutely this has to have meaning because obviously they're pointing towards the thing that george is trying to do but since we don't have the books and since you know the showrunners um, are happy to mine stuff from the series to make it richer, but like uh, I don't even think that they know exactly what's going to happen. I, it's predictive value. Mm, I'm shaky on. It'd be cool if it ended up being. What do you think? So yeah, I don't. I don't. Th- I think it, it adds flavor. I think it's. They know that they've outpaced the books, and there's. St- and part of the reason people like this show is that it it is trying to authentically. Uh, adapt Martin's world, and so why not draw from these other books that are untapped? So I think that that's that that could be what's going on here. Um, clearly, the, the the title was important enough to keep secret, or at least one of the titles this season is important enough to keep secret. But the the title of the show is A Night of the Seven Kingdoms, uh, which which seems to point in the direction of the importance of. Of the this this sort of era of of Duncan the Tall and then uh, Duncan the Small, um, and in addition to that, it is in an episode that's bookended by two knights, right? So first, Jamie is he, he's he's sort of patriated within Danny's system as a man of honor, which is something he's never been able to claim. And Brienne is the one that does does this for him, and then at the end or near the end. Um, Jamie is able to bestow this woman of honor the the status of knighthood, and he does it for everyone to see because any knight can make a knight, and so that they are able to sort of fulfill each other in that way. But the fact that they've also thrown in Jenny's song is, is further fuel to this whole sort of network of connections, and it could be a feint uh, or it could be significant. I, I'm not sure. So I'm kind of with you. I think that mostly this is a mining of the bare scraps. The, the oh, God, we need a different song. How many seasons can we go on with these few songs that we've got? Here, here's one fucking line from this song that we can expand on uh, and we can, we can make a thing. I think that's mostly it, but I also like the analysis uh, from, from your co-author, uh, whose name I'm totally blanking on, even though I said it a moment ago. Anthony. Laid on. It was a long clip. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I could see how it would have predictive power, but also I, th- I think you're right. Yeah, because like, that's the other thing. It's like I just think that uh, as we go forward in time, because the the source material is no longer forthcoming, that the double Ds, if anything, are kind of going further like mm-hmm. like they're drifting further and further off target. It's like you know, anytime like a like a plane crashes in the ocean, and then they do like the drift analysis to try to get the debris, and then it's like it's a pretty contained area. But after like weeks and weeks of not yeah. having any, it just it's like it could be anywhere from Madagascar to fucking <laughs> France. All right, what yeah. do you want me to say? Um, and I feel like that's like the plane crashed in the ocean sometime around season five, 
when Whoa. when when the dan the, the, the when George stopped writing the books and just like we're seeing the effects of these drifts. Like yes, they sometimes find a piece of the fuselage here. They sometimes find a piece of the landing gear here in the form of these bullet points they're trying to track to. But so like the fact that this is like a, an infinitely cursive reference. I do think that Anthony brought a good good point that like. And and if you're l- trying to read tea leaves and seeing whether the double D's and George are still friends, uh, it is kind of cool that they did put a lot of these Duncan egg, like the thing that mm-hmm. Martin is still writing and is still actively doing. Yeah. They're including some of that into it. Does like like uh, I think it's really nice. Hmm. Um, I think it's kind kind of fitting for him. So hope that answered your question, Lauren. Uh, and again, if you appreciate Anthony and I's analysis, so you might like Gods of Thrones, and you can find both volumes at GodsOfThrones.com. Nicole W. So as I'm sure you've received, there's been a lot of speculation as to whether the bodies of the Starks in the crypt have come alive, or will try to come alive and attack those women and children in the crypts. This leads me to pose this question. Indeed, this is uh, a frequently pondered thing mm-hmm. in our mailbag of late weeks. Can the White Walkers raise anyone who has died, or only those who have been killed by the White Walkers or Whites? I can't think of one moment in the show's history that showed a White being raised that wasn't killed by a White or White Walker. It could be pointed out that all the Wildlings burn all of their dead, not just those killed by a White Walker or White. However, that could be a cultural thing that transcended the specifics of its origins. And here she's referring to, there's a couple scenes, I think there, this might have been in season six, but it's for sure in the books where people constantly, the Wildlings like constantly warn about, like, you should burn your dead. If yeah. I were you, I'd be burning the dead. You should burn those dead. Even, like, people that are killed by, like, Stannis' charge and, uh, you know, the Rangers and whatnot, like, it's, it's always, a, you, should, you should fucking burn your dead. But... Um, Which is nice because we're almost guaranteed not to have to witness a uh, undead Shireen come back. That's true. That's true. She she got <laughs> or Mance. She got uh, she got charred up pretty good. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking that like a good example that's like in the show it doesn't have anything to do with the books as this hasn't happened yet or may never happen in the books. Uh, but it's it's Jojen's death. If you recall that like Jojen was being like actively stabbed to death by a white in the gut. Um, and his sister like saved him, but the, the the child of the forest was saying, "You can't, you know, he's dead already. You can die with him, or you can come to the cave with us and live." And Mira, you know, tearfully like Jojen was still alive and in a lot of pain, but she slit his throat to kill him. Hmm. Run to the cave, but the child Leaf still incinerated his body with fire. So, if I was scoring it, I would say that Jojen did not die at the hands of the whites. I would say that he was literally killed by the hand of the living. Now, mm-hmm. that might be splitting hairs because if she'd waited like 60 seconds, he'd probably blood out from his like half dozen gut right. wounds. Yeah. But but like the, I, if, if you it, it's like asking, you know, did right. Oberyn kill the mountain? Right. Well, <laughs> who knows? Right. Um, so I, I think that if I was, if you score it that way, then Leaf incinerating his body shows that a child of the forest who would probably know more about this than anybody thinks that he would have come back. But that's that's so I, I think that's it, yeah. It's, it's, it's not a great. I'm not giving you a straight answer. I'm saying here is a prism for which to view this question. Yeah. I, the the problem with even trying to speculate here is that we don't have like a control sample at all. Like we don't. At least that I can think of, we don't have anybody who wasn't like the thing with the White Walkers is they kill everything around them, right? Right. So where are you going to get encounters with the White Walkers other than Sam, where these these people aren't killed but die naturally around them, right? And then don't come back or do come back to prove you know the theory. 
Yeah. Uh, you'd almost need to see, like, in, like, uh, you'd have to see some kind of big battle fought in the north that leaves yeah. a bunch of dead on the battlefield between the living. And then the living evacuate, and that army gets back up sometime later. And... But it's almost impossible to prove the negative of that, Certainly. right? That they can't right. resurrect. So, like, right. yeah, this is a really hard theory to disprove or prove one way or another. Uh, let's move on to Alicia L. After watching episode two of this season, when Danny finds out that John is a rightful heir, a look on her face said to me that she would do anything to get that throne, maybe even kill John. Oh, shit. I'm trying to recall the prophecy that she was given about her loves and fires and treasons, but I'm having a hard time. Can you discuss in your spoiler edition, maybe? Alicia, I think you're referring to uh, a bunch of different visions that she received when she was in the House of the Undying and under the influence of the Warlocks. Um, and these are mostly book only things. Um, they certainly were kind of, um, hinted at some of this stuff and the visions she saw on the show, but in yeah, the book we, she received we see more than, more than here. Right. Uh, she received these, this, this particular kind of a triplet of, of prophecies. It says the dragon, uh, three heads has the dragon and three fires. You must light one for life, one for death, one for love. Three mounts you must ride, one to bed, and one to dread, and one to love. And three treasons you will know, one for blood, one for gold, and one for love. Uh, and in a pastime amongst the, the, the book readers and the people that delve into lore is they kind of like speculate on what have we actually seen happen, um, what the significance of this, what will happen once all these thing, three things uh, occur. Because, you know, like three fires you must light, obviously lighting Drogo's funeral pyre for life that brought forth the three dragons that seems pretty obvious but like one for death some people say that's when the house of the undying was destroyed and we've yet to see the fire she lights for love um three mounts you must ride one to bed probably refers to the silver horse that drogo gave her as a wedding present um and then she was bedded one to dread like some people say that's like the first time she rode drogon because she was afraid mm -hmm. some people think that that's come true now uh, in the series because she mounted her da dragons to fly up north to face the Night King and lost one of her children, but we still haven't seen the, the loved one. And the three treasons, the same thing. Once for blood, once for gold, once for love. A lot of people think the, the treason for gold was when Jorah betrayed her hmm. uh, for a price. Um, and there's murky answers about the blood one and the love. Jamie's up there is all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> and so the, so a lot of people, there's a couple ways to look at that. Like what treasons will she face? But the, it says no, which means one of these could be a treason that she commits. Hmm. Um, and if you, know, if you think that Dane's going to be a bad person, you might think that the treason for love that she commits is the one when she betrays John because she's bloodlust or not bloodlust, power hungry, or she's, yeah, she's obsessed really with Iron Throne. for love. That's mm -hmm. sort of against love. Like... Unless it's the love of the throne. Right. <laughs> the love of power. Right. I suppose. But that's that's a weird way to interpret it. Yeah, and like are these like three separate loves because in the you know, in the books Danny uh well even in the show, she had like Drogo, uh I think I referred to him as Drogon earlier. She's got Dro she's she's got Drogo, she's got Dario, and then she's got John. Um but like was she really in like it, it, so like a lot of stuff is unclear also none of this happened in the the show so it, it's more of like i would be surprised if you can't look back after the show is over and not be able to like back fill in all of these different things maybe one or two of these will be missing because the double d's didn't cover it but like hmm. i don't know how much predictive value to have because the show just looks a lot different we've had that that the wreckage has drifted yeah 
Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's the one you're thinking about, and hopefully that analysis was interesting. Uh, Tom, Jamie was kicked out of the King's Garden season five and became head of House Lannister and the Warden of the West. Why did he go straight north? Why did he not call his banners first? For the most part in Westerosi history, when a lord calls his banners against the crown, they traditionally obey their lord. Do you have any reason that Jamie did not go to Casterly Rock and summon forth the lords of the Westerlands? Um, hmm. my, my thought is that the show tr- was trying to tell us that the Lannister army has been destroyed utterly by Danny and the Dothraki last season. Yeah, That's, that dragon attack was kind of the yeah. the last straw for their army. Yeah, like they might have some some remnants. Some people might have escaped, but they were either destroyed or captured on on the field by by Danny. So they're either dead or they're now Danny's dudes instead of Jamie's dudes. Uh, That's just the whole reason why Cersei had to take a bunch of money and go get a golden company because she was bereft of an army. Um, but so like I'm saying, like the so what is the Lannister army? You know. Tywin Lannister doesn't have a like a private. I mean, he has his men at arms, but like that Lannister army, always assumed has been kind of like all of his lords already, you know, supplying all of his men and all that kind of stuff. I, I could be wrong. I mean, um, maybe we're supposed to understand that that's kind of Lord Tywin's private army. Uh, but I always thought that that already was. It's kind of like when Rob comes forth as his army, that wasn't just the dudes in Winterfell. Mm-hmm. Uh, the you know, it was like he called all of his banners, and so I think that's already been done. Uh, and they already got destroyed. Hmm. You had another uh, point uh, that I thought was really good, Tom. You said it, you mentioned it's mentioned often in the books about Harrenhal and how massive it is. It's said that it could hold up to half of Westeros if needed. Other interesting things about Harrenhal is it's on the shores of the God's Eye, in the middle of which contains the only grove of weirwoods left south of the Wall, and the place where the war between the children of First Men were ended with a pact. It also was made of stone that was melted by dragon fire. Does that mean Heron Hall is now coated in dragon glass? This sounds like one of the most ideal locations for most of Westeros to take refuge in. I that I don't think I've ever read this idea before that like all of Westeros would retreat to Heron Hall, but it sounds pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I like how much do we know about the dragon glass, like and how it's created? Well, that's the thing. Like, if 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 so, is dragon like dragon glass is literally obsidian, which mm-hmm. is volcanic glass. Yeah, yeah. So it comes, and we also know that old Valeria is famous for their thirteen. Uh, was it the thirteen fires or thirteen candles? Thirteen tor- thirteen furies, flames. God damn it! They had thirteen volcanoes in old Valeria, and that's like mm-hmm. a lot of their uh, like fire magic was based on, and that's probably why there's a lot of dragon activity over there, and that's why they're kind of t- so. Can a dragon fire? melt a rock and make obsidian i think if the answer is yes then heron hall is an awesome idea yeah yeah uh and i just like in my head i'm wondering how does that tie into gendry's ability to sort of smelt this stuff you know right or or just melt it down and turn it into weapons like is it something that only Dragonfire could melt if Dragonfire could create it or is it something that like once it's created you know it's just kind of this thing that can be used however It'd be hilarious if he actually ruined all the dragon right, glass by, by melting it. it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that didn't come out of vol- that didn't come out of volcano. Boy, it just undid yeah. all the magic. Or maybe they're using dragon fire in their their uh, not kilns. Their well, what's the term for the the super hot device that melts stone and metals and uh, forge? Forge, sure, that sounds right. Maybe they're using dragon fire in there. Dragon fire forge. Yeah. Um, 
I, 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 and the other thing is like the thing that I think is cool is that I do feel like if I use my rule of could they do with a five second previously on, um, could they inter- reintroduce? And I know they spent a lot of time in Heron Hall. I do believe they talked about how like that, you know, the Heron's sons and daughters are roasted alive in the castle. I think they could show a five second clip that then, you know, Sam could perk up like, so say there's a ragtag group of survivors on the run still from the Knights King from the survivors of the battle of Winterfell that's upcoming. Um, I could see him being like, Hey, I know it's uh, Heron Hall was this and that. And, then you have this last stand here. But the thing is, is the thing I don't like about it narratively is it simply kicks the can down the road. Mm -hmm. Like I would probably be one of the voices thinking this is a little too death star to E if we had the battle Winterfell and then it's not conclusive retreat, retreat to another location and we have another battle, but this time also, wouldn't you want to in the story, just sort of cut straight to the chase instead of having Sam discover, Oh shit, there's this cache of dragon glass here. Let's, you know, let's chip it out piece by piece and transport it to Winterfell. Uh, maybe he discovers, oh, dragons actually can create dragon glass. Sure, and just let's start just go to a fucking it. hill and melt the melt the thing. Right, and like right next to Winterfell, so we've got everything we need there. Right, it's like in Minecraft, the chumps go down into the <laughs> right. lava to mine it. The smart people just uh, take lava and dump it in water. Is that right? Isn't that how you make obsidian? Yeah, yeah, like you get that lava the lava flow going. So uh, you gotta you gotta get in a large scale dragon manufacturing business. Mm-hmm. So I like I said, so I I I, I like the idea for from a mechanics standpoint, it's, it cool would be factor. really cool. Yeah. It'd be very cool. But it's like, mm, four episodes left, long episodes, but narratively, does that actually help the flow? I don't know. I just rhymed. What a time. Cody in. <laughs> Why is it that when Danny is harping on about the Kingslayer, did none of the Starks bring up how the Mad King, Danny's father, brutally murdered both their grandfather and uncle in King's Landing? I think it's because Danny already knows. Like, <laughs> do, do you really need to bring that up? Yeah, and they're all everyone's kind of on make their defensive. Everyone's kind of on their side against the Kingslayer, but I did wish that that meeting got a little bit more contentious, like where people uh, were hurling because, like, th- that would just make the point that everyone in that room, if you go back one generation, maybe two, ha- probably has a reason to hate each other. There's probably yeah. been bad blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been wars fought and rebellions and all that. I mean, that's fair. I think it's a bit of an oversight, but yeah. But what are you gonna do? Eh. Yeah. Um, Mackenzie W. I've heard you mention twice on the show that Kyburn invented the Ballista recently, but according to canon, World of Ice and Fire slash Fire and Blood, King, Queen Rhaenerys Targaryen died when her dragon Meraxes, Meraxes, Mer, boy, I just realized I've never heard this word pronounced before. <laughs> M E R A X E S. How would you pronounce that? Meraxes? Yeah, yeah Meraxes. Right. Uh-huh. Suffered a scorpion bolt through the eye and Dorn during the first Dornish War, meaning. They've been in existence for at least a last the last few hundred years. Have Has, we been saying that Kyburn invented it, or these I mean, are just like? Because I think he reintroduced the idea. I think we did, but it was like a, an elaborate joke. Okay, you know, like, like like we were joking the fact that like yes, like the idea that you would invent like a really big crossbow, no one had ever have thought that before, and I, I like I said, I, it was more okay. of a joke than a, a serious uh, thing. But if, if, if people took our japes wrongly then i, mean, I want to clarify i, I that. use the same inflection when i'm serious and when i'm joking so yeah, i can called, understand called uh, the straight man mm-hmm. uh moving on to jq um i had a i have a weird theory that cersei will become the night king somehow essentially aligning herself to night king merging the no, two fuck. inevitable battles in the one 
Uh, I now have a few key motives for Cersei teaming up with him. First of all, her child. Cersei offering her baby to the Night King is almost an assured win-win scenario in her eyes. What baby? Uh, the one that's in her belly, Jim. That, that's a fake baby. We, it's not a real baby. Well, this, is, this complicates the theory, <laughs> if you presuppose that. We know that the Night King likes taking babies for some reason, but Cersei is probably one of the rare people who sees appeal in her child being turned to the White Walker. He or she wouldn't be weak or vulnerable. They'd be virtually immortal. We also now know the Night's King intent. The Night King offers not just wiping out the world, which Cersei doesn't really give a damn about at this point, but wiping out the memory of man itself. No more heartbreak or dead children or humiliation by the High Sparrow or abandonment by those she loved. Just nothingness and cold. (laughs) I think this is the deal that Cersei would take in a heartbeat, and it feels like the trajectory the character has been on since the series' beginning. I thought this was silly at first. But I don't think there's like scant there's there, there's scant plot evidence. But that does make some narrative sense, especially if you're going with I mean, the, the dynasty. It certainly would be. Yeah, like the Night King, and she's now he's got the Night Queen, and she's like this ice cold cast iron bitch that we hate anyway. And now she's just got bright blue eyes, and she's got her white. I mean, I can you just so if, if we take the, take the theory we talked about last week, where the Night King is going to bypass you know, on his dragon and just go ransack King's Landing. And then the batter Winterfell is essentially his lieutenants because they pointedly didn't show the Night King there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so if it's, if it, the, the battle of Winterfell is just his lieutenants and the whites, then it would be kind of, it would be a fucked up scene to come back to King's Landing and he's just ruling over it with Cersei at his side as a white. Let, let me ask you, because okay let's run with this theory what what is going on with the white walker birth rate how how do you think like that whole mechanic works what do you mean can you have if you were a white walker can you have a child and if so what do you need with craster's babies like i don't think so no okay so the so the turning would have to happen a while from now what do you mean like Cersei couldn't be turned into a white queen or a knight queen. Oh, but okay, so, and then have a child. Yeah, right? I don't. I don't think the White Walkers can have children. But if like a human was pregnant and turned into a White Walker, that's what I'm asking. Like, how would that work? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> There's literally no way to speculate, right? Like, on how any of does that. magic? That's just my number one question. Does, does magic roll with right. kind of like the Roman Catholic understanding that uh, be a, a person becomes a person when the egg fertilizes? You're the lore the, master. You're, the you're telling me there's no Martin book about how the mechanics of of night king and night queen births no, work? No, no. There's actually get on that, Martin. What are you doing? You're writing so, this no, fucking was, okay. winds of winter thing. What is that? A serious answer is there is there is this legendary. Okay, so you've heard of the Knights King, which is like this this legendary thirteenth Lord Commander of the Knights Watch, who from the top of the tower beheld this beautiful woman in white with piercing blue eyes, and he actually uh, had sex with her and uh and 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 procreated okay okay uh so that shows that a human if mm-hmm. you believe old dan's crazy theories and, and tales did he come back without being like a white himself i don't know okay. i don't think so okay um i think that like it because it, it says something but i don't know it's all in poetic languages like, it's like he gave her his seed and he also gave her his soul like what does that mean does that mean he became a white walker is right um so like i'm just curious yeah so so one of those things is you could say like okay well a living human with a female white could actually make a white walker but i mean again that's these are thousands year old stories that some half crazed old woman's telling brand to scare the shit out of him so 
I, I will say I think that sounds a little too crazy for the end of this thing. Yeah. But you never know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Let's move on to Nick P. I couldn't help but get excited when I saw the military dispositions of the upcoming battle for Winterfell laid out, and I straightaway started to think what historical battle they were going to draw on for this one. The majority of Game of Thrones battles have been based on a historical event, such as the Battle of Blackwater, which is based on the Second Arab Siege of Constantinople in 1717, or sorry, 717 AD, Christ. The Battle of the Bastards, which was based on the Battle of Cannae in 216 BC, we know this battle is a defense of a fixed position in a newly created fortification against overwhelming odds. Number one on my list of real world counterparts is the Battle of Rourke's Drift in 1879 as part of the Anglo Zulu Wars. Now, do you remember, mm. Jim, a couple years ago we did a commission podcast on the yeah. movie Zulu? Uh-huh. That is a depiction of this battle he's talking about. Sorry, Michael Kane. Uh, and in fact, fuck it. I'll go ahead and link the uh, our podcast review if you want to familiarize yourself okay. with that. Why not? Get a little bit of uh, Bald Movies feed action in there. Uh, that's a 1964 Michael Caine movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here's the similarities as Nick P sees them. The enemy was an overwhelming horde of technologically inferior quote-unquote savages against a well-trained and disciplined fighting force. Coma- uh, the co-commanders Bromid, uh, Bromhead and Chard were unable or unsure who had the better claim to the command, but nevertheless had to f- work together to fight the enemy. Uh, what are the events of the, the battle uh, can tell us? At the initial charge at the most fortified location was repelled, so a contingent went around the back and attacked from the, root, the rear. Parenthetically, why isn't John defending the rear of Winterfell? <laughs> That's a damn good question. Because they're coming from the north. <laughs> yeah, like I don't know if there's, yeah, I, I, I don't know if there's, uh, it doesn't look like there's not but gently rolling hills to the south of Winterfell, so yeah, uh, maybe John's never heard of a... Uh, enveloping maneuver <laughs> god i hope he has uh i mean if you otherwise listen, they are fucked yeah if you listen to stannis they, they, mm-hmm. they he was talking about pinchers and all that stuff um uh, the zulu in a pre uh in the zulus in a previously devastating battle the battle of uh uh Wana, took rifles and used british technology against the defending brits which is analogous to danny's dragon previous characters turned white such as hodor However, British sharp super sharp shooters were able to get uh, to target and eliminate the threat. Um, Zulus break through the first line of defense and make it into the hospital wing, analogous to the crypts, and the weak and infirm inhabitants, in this case women and children, make it out through a rear window. Fighting continues. Or it could even be analogous to like the people just outside of Winterfell. Like, yeah, I'm sure they brought them all inside. Though. I think so too, yeah. from the Wintertown. Uh, fighting continued to night, until night fell, but by the morning of uh, the next day, after sustained Zulu attacks, the Zulus saw Brit- British reinforcements in the distance and retreated. Uh, most of the battles in Game of Thrones have had an 11th hour rescue, such as Tywin in the Night of Flowers in the Battle of Blackwater, Stannis against the Wildlings, the Knights of the Vale at the Battle of the Bastards. Who will come to the rescue this time? I mean, it's been floated that Bronn... Is going to take the gold company somehow, yeah, uh, and head up north to help out. Uh, I I honestly don't see Cersei changing her mind at all. No, um, so she's not going to like oh change of heart miraculously come save them. And there aren't a lot of other armies in Westeros at this point. Um, the, yeah, and if we take uh, Yara out of word, there's not enough Ironborn on the Iron Island to like you know. And uh, yeah, I mean, Euron's got over, over right. Euron's like, got him, right, and he's got the Iron Fleet, and the fleet's not going to be any good here. So yeah, um, I will give you kudos, Nick, because I actually thought this uh, analysis was pretty astute, and yeah. you can kind of see how like oh yeah, this these beats would go just like this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so 
we kind of shit on the idea of the blackfish coming back out of the Riverlands as some kind of 11th hour rescue last podcast. Yeah. But he would be like, that would everyone would recognize him. We already know him as a badass. He's got a, he's a very memorable character. So him coming back and just explaining, I brought, you know, uh, I got wind of this and, and brought, uh, brought, brought my troops up from the Riverlands. Like how about, uh, is it, is it his nephew? How about Edmir? Edmir, yeah. Yeah, because we were talking about, like, how he is just kind of in the wind-ish. Yeah, yeah. Um, And he was, wasn't he last at... He was a prisoner of the phrase, right? But I thought... But then he went to the castle where Jamie... Yeah, 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 yeah. uh, yeah. What's the name of that castle? Uh, Because that's where the Blackfish was supposedly killed, right? Riverrun. Yeah, yeah, so wasn't he there last? I think you're right. And, And taken prisoner there? I think you're right. So maybe he's still hanging around there, and and if they have any army down there, yeah. that hasn't already allied themselves with either Cersei or, you know, the banners up north, yeah, maybe Melisandre and the Flaming Hand. We talked to okay. fiery, the yeah. fiery Red hand. priestess running in. They have uh, all those magic wielding priestess. Uh, the other one that um, I've also kind of poo pooed of late is Howland Reed. Mm-hmm. We know that Mira went back to go with her family. The Reeds have like a small but formidable like commando unit of frogmen infantry that use stealth and poison darts and and whatnot like uh also um mira knows everything brand knows uh so like i could see them using like some kind of dragon glass blow darts shit to like decimate the army like so those are the the ones i can think of just off the top of my head is there still an army in dorne at all that's a great question. Their leadership, their was, leadership all was decapitated, but right. But wouldn't they still have troops? And could Yara potentially get their support? Yeah, because they were working together before that. Right, happens. and they were kind of developing a relationship Bronn before they has, were both captured. So would it would it be crazy if Bronn somehow was commanding the Dornish forces? Because like I don't think that Don, I don't think that yeah. Bronn had much interaction with Dorn. Except for the bad Pousset. <laughs> right. That yeah. was his one connection. Uh-huh. So. I don't think he's as likely as maybe Yara is. Okay. But even Yara is so unlikely. I agree. The other thing about Howland Reed, because people keep asking me this, is like he's also the other person surviving from the Tower of Joy who would absolutely know that John is no shit the uh-huh. legit son of Rhaegar Targaryen. So if Danny's still having trouble being caught up on this, <laughs> yeah, but then it's like, oh, the best friend of your father comes back and says, <laughs> true, huh? oh, true. Yeah, yeah, who I'll also saved our asses, by the way. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, all right, Eddie P. Your recap podcast this week got me thinking: if it's possible for the living to defeat the dead of their fallen, if their fallen replenish the Night's King's army. So I decided to create a simulator to figure out what would happen. Uh, to make a long story short, it depends on the rates at which the living and the dead kill each other. At the current numbers, the living can win if they kill the whites uh, about 20% more efficiently than the whites kill them. At a 40% more efficient e- efficiency advantage, they'd even have enough left over to take on the Golden Company in a straight-up, evenly-matched fight. I've attached figures with the results and a link to a blog post with more analysis. And boy, did he ever. This is like a five-page statistical analysis of, of uh, zombie versus living killing. Uh, and then those armies rolling on to meet the Golden Company. I, I'm going to link it in our uh, posts so you guys can check out his numbers. Um, I was surprised at how little like efficiency was required um, or, you know, just like what little swing kind of like cha- uh, changes the match up there. Mm-hmm. But, dude, you need to submit this to like r slash they did the math r slash a song of ice and fire r slash game of third because like that you you could reap a karma whirlwind with this <laughs> oh, man boy. yeah original original yeah. statistical analysis of game of thrones come on now it is much appreciated i'll say because 
yeah, I, I was I was thinking, oh, it must be something like five to one is just sort of like my gut feeling. Right. Turns out it's not even near that. Yeah. Um, and it's totally not an insurmountable force. And I know I have no I, I had no time nor ability to 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 critique his math, but he's got really pretty charts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and They're all I, rainbowy, reds, and, and yellows, blues, greens. Yeah, standard DV, all kinds Love of it. all kinds of <laughs> axes labeled. So I was I was instantly swayed. Uh, Josh P. What if every man, woman, and child swallowed a small piece of dragon glass right before the <laughs> oh, battle God. begins? Wouldn't that kill them instantly if they resurrected or prevent resurrection? It's a perfect combination of dead hand and cyanide pill. This is, yes, yes, this is effective. Yeah, if you just swallow a sliver now, it could be that peristalsis or whatever the learned name for the muscular contractions that work your intestines, it might end up just slicing your guts open and killing you with sepsis, but could be. you ain't going to come back as a white walker, that's for How sure. How smooth can uh, Gendry make? Can Gendry make a pill-shaped piece of dragon glass? Sure, he could, but then, yeah. but then when they... Oh, so you're saying just merely t- the mere touch... The mere touch. Yeah, of the, I, I don't know. I mean, how does it work? Because like, well, let me tell you how. Let me tell you, we all start when we when we're fertilized eggs as a tube. That one end eventually becomes our mouth, and the other end became turns into our anus. And true facts, uh, the inside of our guts are treated as the outside by our body. That's why we have all kinds of crazy bacteria living in there, et cetera, et cetera. So, okay. if you brushed a small, smooth stone of dragon glass past a white walker or, or, or a white would it kill them or does it have to as a emailer from the last podcast said penetrate your skin because if it's the latter a smooth dragon glass pill i would state by the laws of biology mm-hmm. would not kill the white walker or, or whites i keep i keep conflating this on this podcast um but if it Fair. if it's just contact then then sure what if you replaced one of your teeth with a very sharp piece of dragon glass and then you will count on the White Walker to bite its tongue. Yeah. What if you? What if? <laughs> what if Sans or what if not Sans? What if Arya has Gendry got grind up a shit ton of dragon glass and she just uses that as like a pocket sand? Okay. Like, like a like, blood spore kind of thing. Yeah. Like, like throwing so their eyes. The the walkers inhale micro abrasions. Those micro abrasions slice up their lungs and is burst yep. into dust. Oh man, you could just you could get a dragon to just sprinkle the whole field with Crop it. Crop dust. Yeah, it's spraying fire out of one end. It's yeah. shitting dragon glass powder out of the other. Yeah, yeah. Game over. That's how you get both ends of those tubes to work for you. <laughs> <laughs> it, the joke isn't getting any better. Let's move on. Uh, Matthew P. I've been wondering a lot about dragon glass and the role it plays with the living. In season six, we've encountered Ben Jinstock. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, he's losing it. I cracked my own damn self up. <sighs> All right. Mm-hmm. It's only funny when it's not supposed to be. Matthew P. I've been wondering a lot about Dragon Glass and the role it plays with the living. In season six, we encountered Benjen Stark, who is a half man, half white, but fights for the living. He told Bran and Mira that he was saved by the children of the forest by driving Dragon Glass into his heart while being struck down by a white with a sword of ice in his belly. I have two thoughts here. Could this technique be used by the living to fight against the White Walkers? Do you think. Take their powers, yeah. Do you? Th- I mean, I, I guess it's my my question is like, is there any art or skill to this? Like, is there like some kind of intrinsic magic or technique, or you can just plunge? Like, could a could an untrained person plunge dragon glass into a person's heart to stop this transformation? Uh, that is a fine question. Does it have to do with like, uh, is simultaneity a word uh, of sure. the actions? 
yeah. like where you're being actively killed while you're actively killing yeah. i don't know what i i don't know i mean this question is like me saying the cure for appendicitis is to plunge stainless steel into your abdomen and to rip out the organ that's a literally true statement. The cure from being reanimated by appendicitis. Right. <laughs> right. That's... Right. I mean, that, that's a perfectly true statement, but you have to be a doctor to carry out those, you know, you, you mm-hmm. have to have additional training to carry out those instructions, right? Sure. So, like, if to make a white walker, you plunge obsidian in the heart, well, then anyone can make a white walker, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if to stop it the same. So, like, I, I think that the first point is pretty doubtful, Matthew. I don't think that just, like, a child of the forest could maybe brand with his super knowledge um, but just a just a random person, I don't think so. Uh, they also bring uh, the next point forth, which is, does Benjin come back? We didn't really see him, quote-unquote, die when he saved John from the walkers, and he did say to Bran and Mira earlier that he had a role yet to play, but the magic of the wall pr- was real and prevented him from going with them. With the wall now down, could he still come and fight for the living? Oh, yeah, he's been spinning that lantern <laughs> all the way south. Right, and the whites are like, we don't have to fight you. We can just go around you, right? You know that you're just one dude, and there's this whole fucking continent we can walk around, mm-hmm. and he's just still swinging and calling them pussies. <laughs> Not very enlightened, that Benjin. Uh, I will say that I don't think the Bran and Mira line is very uh, compelling because literally he did have a role to play, which he did, which is saving John. So, like, to me, that's like, what is the evidence that he has another role beyond that important role to play? Saving John. Yeah, because he, like, John was about to be overrun by the oh, rights. Oh, and he Bingen, did the I, la- Yeah, yeah, Bingen. Okay, sorry, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So, uh, I, that, that was super important. Yeah. And, again, the, the, the narrative they're trying to tell there is Bingen is making a heroic last stand sacrifice. Um, but, like I said, I mean, if you want to say Bingen can't be killed and he's already kind of a white and all they could do is kind of lightly maul him, then sure, I guess he can come back. I mean, you'd probably kill him. I would think so. What, but he's in, how would they do that? Like Tear set him, him on fire, use or... dragon glass on him? Yeah, any of the yeah. any of the things that would kill a White Walker, I would assume, would kill Benjen. Or I guess you're right. Like you, they could just literally dismember him. So yeah. where like maybe he have his 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 hands and feet could crawl around, but then then what? Flop around with your jaw? Yeah. Um, all right, moving on to Dell. In the War Council scene, Bran explains why the Night King will be after him in particular by letting everyone in the room know that he's tried it many times before. Nobody there in that room, be it the War Council room or the writer's room, ask any follow-up questions about this. And Mm -hmm. for the sake of enjoying ourselves as an audience, we should probably let that go. However, and I love these howevers, uh, from a book lore perspective, let's take the Night King slash Three-Eyed Raven struggle as a canon fact. What could have happened all those other times? It stands to reason that the Night King has not ever yet succeeded in his mission to kill the Three-Eyed Raven and bring about eternal night. However, the show has taught us, or at least convinced us, that the Dragonglass slash Valerian Steel Plan will destroy the Night King in a pretty permanent way. So to me, this means that while the Night King has never succeeded, nor has the Living ever succeeded in vanquishing him. A question, a good question to ask Bran might be, how did they thwart the Night King's advance all those other times? Did mm-hmm. they kill him with Dragonglass? And he reappeared magically a few hundred years later anyway? Did they try to reason with him? Is it just that he's never made it this far south before? To me, the missing answers to those questions mean at least one big thing that we currently think is true can't be true. For example, Dragonglass or Valerian Steel will not permanently kill the Night King. Uh, or killing the Three-Eyed Raven will not permanently cut off all future Three-Eyed Ravens and will not by itself usher in, inter- in an Eternal Night, or the Night King that we saw created on the show is not the Eternal Night King, but rather just the most recent incarnation of him. I've got one other option. Okay. 
they have been playing an eternal game of tag. And and it's human's th- turn to be it? No, no, the three-eyed raven has simply been hiding mm. eon after eon. Right, and it's only dumbass Bran Stark that led him right to their door, that uh, line of three-eyed ravens. That's why he doesn't want to talk about it. Well, he was hoping I mean, no one would ask questions. <laughs> right. But we have been, you know, speculating, oh, maybe it's Bran's crossing of the wall that brought the the Night King south or enabled the Night King to cross the wall. Yeah. We know that the, the three-eyed raven that he encounters was up north beyond mm. the wall. Um, so perhaps, you know, that game of tag has been going on for years and years and years. Uh, and there's, they simply haven't been in a position to kill either one of them. Not mm-hmm. that, like... Oh well, Dragon Glass. Like they stab, you know, the Night King with Dragon Glass, and he just sort of respawns elsewhere. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I think all of these have a potential to be partially true, or maybe one yeah. of them. Because like, I there's people been already theorizing that we're going to end up with John being a Night King because he someone has to fulfill the role. So that shows that this could be a cycle that keeps happening. Um, I find it hard to believe that if he if Night King kills Bran then just the world ends. Mm-hmm. Like, he didn't have to kill all the other humans, and presumably if the humans could prevail... I mean, Bran kind of, like, was... In, I want to say immaculately conceived. I don't I don't know how much the Three-Eyed Raven had to do with this, but, like, he just... You know, all these Stark children sprung forth with, uh, you know, no, none of their parents had any of these abilities, and they just got it. So, like, maybe mm-hmm. the 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 old gods can just manifest these powers when they run out. Because eventually, the, the, uh, in the olden days, this was all just children of the forest stuff. S- slowly but surely, the first men began to explore this and, and started getting these gifts bestowed on them. Why couldn't the old gods do that again if they had to reconstitute this thing? So, And also, the Three-Eyed Raven... Ah, man, I just don't know if I agree with the show's lore because to me, the Three-Eyed Raven, it was always like the avatar, the spokesman for the old gods, which are manifest in all these spirits that are contained within the Weirwood and all that knowledge that mm-hmm. he's just a way for humans to access. He's like the he's like the interface, right? You know, he's the terminal yeah. that lets you access that information. So if he dies, it's just the terminal's destroyed, but the data's still there if you could reconstruct the terminal. So I think actually there's it's, it's it's potential for all three of your points to be true, and like Jim said, there's there's other possibilities too. Did you have anything else to add? Or no, I guess what I'm like theorizing, I'm trying not to say okay, well one of these things we think currently must not be true. I'm sort uh-huh. of like trying to take what we think to be true and yeah. and figure out how that fits within the structure of new information. Um, and so that's why I kind of came up with the idea that you know they've tried to kill each other, but nobody's ever even come very close to succeeding. Because otherwise, yeah, Bran should should say, look, uh, you know, we vanquished the Night King once before with the uh, dragonglass yeah. dagger to his, to his nutsack. He's, he's and... tried six times. The first time, we repelled yeah. him with dragonglass marbles. The like, third if time, he had we... information to volunteer, he should fucking volunteer it. By the way, those marbles work, even though they're perfectly smooth. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, right. yeah, those, that's the exact, yeah. Yeah. So the fact that he doesn't almost, to me, tells me that, like... There hasn't really been a situation where he would understand how to defeat the Night King. It's like two submarines really. trying to find each other in the ocean, and they never made contact. Yeah, they've they've like they've had sonar pings. Yeah, there's but, been some close But they've calls. never been within range of torpedoes right. or something. Right. You know, right? They've just somebody's run away every time, or circumstances have changed. Yeah, or it could like maybe ma- like the other thing is like maybe they can only fight when magical conditions are right. When you have these kind of like. Mm, imbalances yeah. between ice and fire and now's the latest opportunity that's that's presented himself but like you know in between those times when it's right the night king just has to twiddle his thumbs I don't, there's we, probably something in a book yeah somewhere that, that do you think we'll get you, but... more 
satisfying answers um, to what the Night King is doing and try or like how they function and things like that. The closer we get to the end, the less I think so. I do kind of feel like because this is something else that that Anthony and I talked about this morning, but I I cut it before time. Um, I don't know that I buy that this is a lame motivation for the Night King. Just straight up, I want to bring along uh, an endless night. Because it reminds me a lot of, like, uh, Mr. Freeze from, like, the old Batman. Like, you know, his canonically, like, he lost his wife, and she was cryo-frozen, and mm-hmm. he his heart turned to ice, and then he became cold, and, and uh, you know, wanted all, some of his plots involve, like, making everyone suffer as he does, and... I wonder, like, you know, if 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 the Night King is just a, a mortal human who's had everything stripped from him, and he's now in this this icy body, and he has to do the Children of the Forest's bidding, and he can't feel anymore, he can't like have love. Like, I, I feel like it's a fairly straightforward, like, well, if I'm cursed this way, all should be kind of thing. Like, it's it's he's a he's a he's a. I feel like those motivations are understandable. They're not laudable. But like you know, this like that this like just just wanting this burning need for revenge or everyone to suffer the way he's been forced to suffer. I I kind of think that's borderline deep, or at least compelling. Yeah, yeah, I think it's compelling. But uh, I think they need if they're going to make that land, they need to like the, the Night King needs to speak. The night they need to have like some kind of like he ain't needs to articulate that somehow. It can't mm-hmm. just be like, well, this is what the fan on you know the reddit boards came up with you're gonna you're gonna watch him like from a distance see danny and john kiss and he's just gonna fume he's just gonna oh he's gonna be so mad you see it on his face he's gonna pull off his mask it's gonna be arnold schwarzenegger underneath there (laughs) right uh and he's gonna give give speeches Uh uh-huh give speeches about what killed the dinosaurs and whatnot uh okay let's move on to leon t I'm wondering whether the Night King is manipulating Bran and controlling which visions he sees. Could the Night King be leading Bran down certain rabbit holes to get him to misdirect the forces of the living Mm. and position Bran where he can get access to him? We may have already seen an example of this when the Night King put his mark on Bran. And Bran is an especially inexperienced three-eyed raven. Yeah. Let's not forget that. I mean, that... that's my big critique for this theory is that so you're saying this this is essentially Luke on Dagobah receiving visions of his friends being tortured, but uh, actually, these were manipulations by Vader and the Emperor to get him to Cloud City so they could turn him. Okay? Sure. One to one, that's exactly what we've seen. But, like, wasn't that exactly what happened? Like, the Three-Eyed Raven said, you're not ready. You can't do this. You mm-hmm. shouldn't dwell on these topics. And Bran sneaks off and does it anyway, and the Night King marks him. So, like, we already had the Cloud City. And you see how that turns out. Right. Right? So if Bran Luke lets, wins that. Yeah, he, he sort yeah. of... He sort of you know, well, he doesn't win it. Uh, maybe he can. Maybe John can turn the Night King to his side. Now that I'm thinking about it, though, because like the or maybe Benjen's the Vader. Benjen's the Vader. Yeah. Oof. Uh, <laughs> I think that if you if you carry that 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 theme further, so like if if we had we had our uh, Dagobah Cloud City moment, the resolution of that plot line is that Luke, instead of being lured to Vader by by deceit voluntarily confronts him mm-hmm. with uh you know uh, with his righteous cause and, and mind and his faith and being able to turn his father i wonder if there'll be analogous to like bran 
realizes he has to face the Night King, and mm. they have to personally like do. Or battle. this will just continue yeah. forever. Right? Yeah, like if he keeps running, this game of tag they've been playing exa- that's, is not working for the realm. Mm, it's starting to come together. Could be. It's like get these get these get these spoiler points registered with the spoiler <laughs> authority, so we can get those valuable spoiler points. Oh yeah. Um, Vicky E. Why is everyone all in anticipation of what will happen to the dead in the crypt beneath Winterfell while the crypt beneath the Red Keep contains dead dragons, including Balerion the Black Dread? Fair. We'll know him by the hole in his skull from the Scorpion Test. If the Night King is in or out to King's Landing, it isn't to take Cersei. She's no threat and easily disposed of. He's after some dragons. Um, I think it's because the, the fandom, myself included, can barely contain our excitement about the Battle of Winterfell yeah. that's about to take place. And we got to get beyond that before we can uncloud our heads and think clearly about whatever battle is going to take place in uh, King's Landing. Um, I do have a little bit of bucket of cold water to, to, to throw on this dragon fire. Oh, shit. Therefore making obsidian. Uh, it's just a dragon skull. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not the entire fossilized re- or, or preserved remains of the dragon skeletons. At least there's no evidence. It's always the skulls. The skulls, the skulls. So, like... yeah. What the fuck can the Night King do with a reanimated dragon skull? I mean, hmm. some of those whites were awful bony. I actually went back and yeah, watched a Jojen sure. execution scene, and the dude that killed him... It basically a skeleton. Was basically a skeleton, mm-hmm. like Jason and Argonaut style. Um, but even still, it had a fucking body. <laughs> right, it had... It had uh, an arm it could swing and stab with. Of, of mobility, you know? It was... Oh, dude! What if, if it's dragons just breathe dragon fire out okay. of the skulls? Like they're they're booby traps now. I, I'm back around. The Night King affixes these skulls to massive wagons, oh, and they're like flame throwing tanks, man! Like straight out of Red Alert. And those things were nasty, if I recall. I love it. So I love it. Actually, what if uh, what if Kyburn is actually able to invent a true original weapon? So he sees that he goes down there and he sees, oh, shit, the Night King's presence has awoken these dragon skulls. Mm-hmm. They're starting to breathe fire. Oh, Let's shit. attach them and use them against his armies. Uh, but like, would they breathe fire? They'd breathe the blue they be, the It'd blue be stuff. the ice flame. Whatever. We don't know yeah. what that does to whites. So yeah. Who knows? Yeah, it probably makes them, heals them. <laughs> probably, yeah. Turns them, turn, like, if you're a skeleton, you turn guess. into a brawny lad mm-hmm. if you get breathed by dragon fire. Um but they'd, yeah, it'd be kind of sick to see those like launched in a trebuchet, just like the spinning f- death flame thing coming down on you. Well, All right, me, I'm back on. I'm back on the dragon skull resurrection theory. Let me ask you this: What do you think happens to the human army when they get breathed on by the new white dragon? That's a great. So Will they instantly turn. Anybody who's hit by that instantly turns to a white. I wonder if they or if they just freeze on the spot. Because like what? So, so like, but the thing is that that's the other thing is like. Yeah, I mean, the dragon fire is blue. I mean, the force of it alone would just I, blow them apart, right? Look yeah. what it did to the wall. Yeah. But the, but, but the thing is, is, like, the wall was a magical construct. So, like, I'm trying to think how much yeah. of that, like, if, if, uh, if, he, if he breathed that ice fire on a conventional ice wall, would have it just added a layer of ice to it? Or is it actually physically hot? I don't think it can be, because, like, it would be as much a danger to the, the White Walkers as, and, and the Whites themselves. So, yeah. Um, I, these are all great questions. I can't wait to see. I mm-hmm. like. I don't. Um, it's going to be like if if the dragons ever do battle. Like some of my favorite moments in the Fire and Blood um, uh, Targaryen history that that George l- released last year was the like aerial uh, dragon combat. It's savage. It's fucking savage, man. Like dragons are ripping wings off each other and they're nice. breathing fire. It's like 
God, uh, I hope they. I hope they're able to depict that. Yeah, like like this, like these opposed forces of these these the, the ice flame and the 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 fire flame. But the other thing about dragons too is like uh, canonically their flames are all different colors too. Like Balerion had black oh. fire, like uh, lightsabers. It all comes back to Star Wars. Eventually. You're right. Like, you're right. Uh, yeah. You need a the the Windurius who has a purple flame. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, can we just start calling the dragons Skywalkers? Sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Lucas is done with the Skywalkers <laughs> after his next movie, so why not? Let's let's take it. Um, let's see. Steve F. I've been rewatching the show since I wanted to keep my mind fresh for season eight. I was watching season two with Arya and Jack and Hagar, and it got me thinking: if Arya had substituted one of her names for Tywin Lannister, where would the show now be? Would Rob be alive? Would Joffrey be having a reign of terror? Without uh, Tywin's marriage proposal for he and Marjorie, would Tyrion be with Danny? I think the entire realm would be different. And there are so many little moments like this across the show that have made such huge changes. Um, yeah, definitely something we've talked about. It's because, like, the thing is, Rob. I think Rob lost the war the second he broke his marriage vow to Walder Frey. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know if Lord Frey would be bold enough to um, openly defy and kill the, him without the protection, or, or or Bolton without the protection from the Lannisters and the rewards. But like for sure, he's not going to give him his troops. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems like the already like Roose Bolton uh, was kind of hedging his bets because he was making sure that uh, forces loyal to Rob was taking more of the the the, the, the their, their more than their fair share of licks in the battles and kind of keeping him and his men preserved in these things. Um, so I, I just feel like that once he just made that just bad strategic and tactical error um, in setting aside his betrothal, that's like I don't think Rob could could achieve a military victory from that point forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you know, that's the other thing. Like um, you know, what would Joffrey look like if no one, like, like if Tywin wasn't there to restrain him? Um, I don't know. Would have made Tyrion's life a hell of a lot easier. <laughs> would it have? He might. He might not have ever got out of the Lannister family. But mm. yeah, yeah, he wouldn't have had to kill him and go on the run and be a fugitive. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's uh, true. That's true. Because he wouldn't have killed him himself. Right. But he would have been fighting a political war against his sister with no like you know say what you will but i think Ty- at that time he was smarter than his sister well he's definitely smarter but like who had more in actual influence like you know over joffrey definitely cersei um even though hers was waning over too. The, the the powers of the government i guess Tyrion too yeah it's hmm it's really hard to argue that 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 killing Tywin wouldn't have been just a net good thing if you're from a if you're looking at it from a Stark's perspective anyway. Yeah. Um so uh okay, moving on to West. Do you think we will see any more children of the forest? It's possible that there are still some that survived in the Isle of Faces where the pact of the first men took place. That's uh that God's Eye lake that we talked about a couple emails ago. Uh, it would be interesting to see them help defeat the Night King because in the world of ice and fire they say this about the long night. Alone he, the last hero, reached Finally, the children, despite the efforts of the White Walkers, and all the tales agree that this was the turning point. Thanks to the children, the first men of the Night's Watch banded together and were able to defeat and win the Battle for the Dawn. What do you think, Jim? Do you think they're still... What... Just as a show watcher, 
What's your impression of what the show was trying to tell us about the, the children of the forest? The, the last ones we saw, Leaf and her few companions that were with the three-eyed crow in that cave. I mean, honestly, it feels like they've made a huge mistake mm-hmm. that they now regret by unleashing the Night King upon the land of Westeros. And they're doing what they can to rectify that. Did it feel like that was the last of the children? Or did it feel that, like, was there yes. anything that made, stuck out? Okay, because yeah. that's, that's where I was going. That I felt like the language the show was using was very much they're all that's left yeah like they're passing the torch to bran and saying you have to do this for us because we're out we're at the end of our rope yeah and i don't think that they survived because of why wouldn't they follow bran like he's now the three-eyed raven he's the most important thing for them to protect if any of them survived why wouldn't they be here so Mm -hmm. now in the books i agree like there's a lot more evidence to think that maybe in uh um the Isle of Faces where these these trees are still remaining and there's this order of the green men that kind of uh, uh, keep this island as a sacred place. And there's stories of like when people try to approach the island in a boat, like strong winds blow them back and like clouds of blackbirds. Like you just got to get Gendry out there. Yeah, he can row through those fucking Shit. winds. Trust me, he'll power right through it. Yeah. Um, but until you get the maybe that's his final purpose. Until you get the forearms that were promised, uh, or is it the? <laughs> it's the lats. It's the I lats. Think, yeah. The lats that yeah. were promised. Uh, <laughs> it, this, the island was unreachable. So the, I think there's Fair. and like oh, okay, like maybe there's the these these green men have like enough magic that they can do that themselves. Maybe the the children we know have elemental magic. Famously, they're responsible for the destruction of the land bridge that used to connect. Uh, Essos and Westeros. Um, they also, uh, by legend, are responsible for why the neck of the, the 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 swampy area that connects the north and south of Westeros is flooded because they tried to do the same thing again, only in a, like a much weaker, weakened state. Um, so, I I think in the show, no, no way, because I think they have told show watchers that these are the last, just like the giants. There's last the giants. You're not going to see any more. You might see some white versions of them, but you're not mm-hmm. going to see any fighting on the living side. Um, Steve B. I was thinking of the two children who bailed on Missandei and possibly even the small girl who will guard the crypts in episode two of season eight could be spies sent by Kyburn. They fit the age mm. range of the children he likes to use, their look, their demeanor. And I do remember Cersei mentioning that she has her spies up there in the north. I like it. I think that that's... Especially, I don't know about the two children who are just uh, uh, Mean Mug and Missandei. That seems like they do fit that description. I think the little girl that's going down in a crypt doesn't. Uh, she seems just more like a fierce northern, like like a, like a little mini... Well, I guess Leanna Mormont's kind of mini, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a less highborn version of Leanne Mormont. Um, but I, 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 you know, like I said, uh, you know, there's nothing to disprove that theory. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I guess I, the other thing is, like, I just don't feel like Kyburn could run Varys's fucking scheme right underneath Varys's nose. Unless Varys, too, is thinking, dirty. Yeah. Could, Var- could Varys turn them? And and also we there's there was a, some there was some talk last season of Varys being a traitor inside like that's the reason that Danny kept on suffering reversal after reversals mm-hmm. as she had a spy in her midst and um, I haven't heard that so much this season do you think that that I mean Varys hasn't been very prominent this season so right. maybe the opportunity has just not come up to point at Varys and say look this fucker's dirty I don't know why because I, I the other thing is like. Uh, I'll put my biases on the table. I've always thought that Varys is legit when he says that he tries to serve the realm. I do too. Not so much in the books, maybe, but I think in the show he's a, he's a much simpler mm-hmm. character, and that's he's he's kind of true blue. Uh, so, like, why would he, on the eve of this battle, that's going to determine whether he himself lives or dies, 
why would he betray these you know kind of forces for good the the forces that are here that defend the realms of men that he claims to serve mm-hmm. but uh everybody can make that judgment for themselves and we'll see we only got a couple weeks to left to see who who wins and who loses here uh, finally, Ben C says, any thoughts on Theon and his Iron Islands? Common saying of what is dead may never die, but rises again harder and stronger, protecting Bran from the Night King and the army of the dead. I fucking love this theory. Especially in combination with the Bingen stuff you're talking before. What is the theory here? So the the Ironborn have a, a, th- yeah. a, a saying, what is dead may never die, but rises again harder and stronger. So the idea is that somehow... Theon is going to die defending Bran, but experience a resurrection, and then as some kind of undead form of Theon, just tirelessly defend Bran. And I think that's a cool idea, because... Like a Benjen sort of thing? Because like... I could totally see John giving Bran an obsidian dagger and saying, look, if, if, it, if, 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 if it comes to it, you can defend yourself to the utmost with this. And like Theon like being killed by a white or a white walker, and Bran, with all the knowledge that he has... Knowing what his uncle Benjen told him about being resurrected, what if he plunges that dagger in Theon's chest? And potentially being able to see that moment. Yeah, like, and then and then Theon then turns into such a sucking fucking undead badass, and like because I was skeptical, like oh yeah, Theon, yeah, you're really going to fucking defend Bran, but this is a pretty good mechanism for how he could do that. I, I still think this is you know the the final moment for Theon mm-hmm. to die defending Bran, but uh. Uh, yeah i mean that would even be a little bit more of a tragic end if he's like not just dead he's undead like it, it like benjamin never mm-hmm. benjamin never perpetrated like that was a fun existence to have no um it seemed like kind of like you're in a damned a damned state but uh i like it i think it seemed it, it would be a super cool visual and it would give theon a, like a maximally heroic way to to go out uh, maybe he sets himself on fire at the end, like you know, like the you know, uh, like like uh, anytime they want to sell you that a vampire's kind of gone good and he's wary of this life and he just goes out on into the sun and sets himself on fire because he's just so over it. Mm-hmm. Like Theon does that with uh, drops a torch at his feet and like I I don't I I've I've served all my purpose I've I I've peaked my character arc has come to an end whoosh um, could be we'll see. And that is, uh, that's the spoiler cast for this week. If you would like to send us feedback, uh, we're doing this all over again next week. You can do it at Game of Thrones at BaldMove.com. Uh, you can also discuss on the forums with our fellow fans at forums.baldmove.com. Uh, don't forget that we will be back tomorrow if you're listening to this on Thursday. Or no, sorry. I forgot our own production schedule. Don't forget that we've got a Avengers Endgame review. Uh, I think a lot of you are probably watching that movie this weekend. If you want to hear our thoughts and discuss it with us, it'll be out there in the Bald Movies feed. Don't forget that we also released a new uh, f- a Super Serious Fan Fest to celebrate Game of Thrones. This week was I don't Army think you've of ever Darkness. said the name of that right. Ever. Not once. What? Super Serious Film Fest Fantasy? There you go. What did I say you that time? Super Fist Face Fuck Far? <laughs> Something that was closer to what you said, yeah. <sighs> Clown Penis Dot Fart. Uh, we will have that. Yeah, it's Army of Darkness. Uh, it's pretty... Yeah. It's it's unconventional fantasy choice. For sure. But it has, you know, armies of undead. Armies which of I undead. think qualifies it for sort Castles, of a Game of Thrones swords, Right? Shotguns, chainsaws. Mm-hmm. What if you had a dragon glass chainsaw? Game over. Holy shit. If you had Ash with the dragon, dragon glass, like he's uh-huh. Azora High right there. Everybody sh- gets sh- it up. Shooting, uh, you know, but like birdshot, except it's it's just dragon glass. He's, he steals. Little pellets. He steals John's girl. 
Mm-hmm. He steals the Lord of Lights girl. He's got Danny <laughs> and Melisandre it. both. Like he's he's unstoppable. Uh, that's that's in our bald movies feed too. Uh, have a great weekend. We'll see you Sunday night for the instant talk and instant or instant take instant talk podcast for club members. And until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.